I don't think that I have ever met a Christ follower who disputed the value of prayer. How many of you believe in the power and the value of prayer? Let me see your hands. Believe in that. It's important that the people of God pray. One of my favorite writers on prayer, there are two that I really enjoy. Andrew Murray is one. The other is Ian Bounds, has written more on prayer than probably anyone that I'm familiar with. And Ian Bounds says this about prayer. Um, And he uses the word men, but understand when he uses the men, it's in the editorial form, the generic form for men and women. Are we okay with that? Or do I have to say men and women every time? How many are all right with me if we understand men means men and women? Eight of you. The rest of you, I don't care. (laughs) All right. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. Ian Bounds also goes on to say, a prayerless age will have but scant models of divine power. Did you hear what I just said? A prayerless age will have but scant models of divine power. The age may be a better age than the past, But there is an infinite distance between the betterment of an age by the force of an advancing civilization and its betterment by the increase of holiness and Christ-likeness by the energy of prayer. Our culture can increase and improve, and our lives are better today than they were 100 years ago as far as our culture and standard of living. But I'm not sure that we can say the church is stronger today than it was 100 years ago. Because what grows the church and strengthens the church isn't all of our methods and our activities and our, our um, programs and procedures. It's whether or not we have the touch of God. We just finished a series on vision, seeing what God wants us to see. But we'll never see what he wants us to see if we don't have time with God in prayer. So for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to pray and what, uh, how that should undergird our lives. Many believers value the power and importance of prayer and rarely even in a secular realm with unbelievers rarely is an offer to pray rejected i've had it a couple of times but it's rare that when i've offered to pray even for an unbeliever that an unbeliever will say no to someone praying for them the phrase how to pray receives over 130,000 unique monthly searches on youtube over, did you hear what I just said? Over 130 on average unique monthly searches on YouTube for how to pray. The phrase how to pray receives over 14,000 unique monthly searches on Google. People are looking in America for what it means to pray. Popular queries include prayer for strength, prayer for healing, prayer for children. And more than half of Americans, 55%, of Americans say they pray every day. What's happening in America is that while religion, organized worship is on the decline, what is described as spirituality is on the rise, and people are rejecting the form of church while they're seeking something of substance, and 55% of Americans say that they pray every day, and 74% of Americans say that they prayed to God at least once a week. 74. Now, I will tell you, that if 74% of Americans were talking to the God of heaven once a week in relationship, this nation would look different than it does today. 
However, it tells us that there is an openness to the concept of praying and a hunger for a real relationship with God. And the church of Jesus Christ needs to lead the way in that. We need to recapture the power of prayer. Jesus, as you know, did not say that his house would be a house of preaching. He did not say his house would be a house of programs. He did not say his house would be a house of prosperity. He said that his house would be known of all nations as a house of prayer, a place where people pray. As I mentioned during the offering, there are three disciplines that Jesus highlights in Matthew chapter 6. He doesn't say if, he says when. When you give, when you fast, and when you pray with the assumption that those three disciplines will be a regular part of the believer's life, that we will be praying, we will be giving, and we will be fasting. There's a popular acronym I've seen on the internet, Facebook, and other places when it comes to prayer called PUSH. How many have seen the acronym PUSH? It means to pray until something happens. Began to think about that. What does that mean? And in Scripture, things happened when people prayed. <laughs> How many of you believe things ought to happen when we pray? Amen. Began to ponder that. And I want to ask the question this morning, when you look at three weeks of places where people prayed and something happened, I want us to ask ourselves the same question, what happens when you pray? What happens when you pray. If when the early church prayed something happened, then I think it's fair to say by parallel, things ought to happen when we pray. What would that look like? So this morning, we're going to focus our attention in Luke chapter 9 at the Mount of Transfiguration. And I want to explain my journey through the Mount of Transfiguration this morning to not be misunderstood. I want in no way to diminish the supernatural revelation of the deity of Christ and his glorification to come on the Mount of Transfiguration. The primary point of the story is that we see Jesus transfigured, his glory, his deity shines through. He has visitors from heaven that speak to him and the glory of God is revealed in his son. And that is the primary focus of that story. However, it's interesting to note that when Luke describes him as being transfigured, that root word for transfigured is the same word that's used in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed or transfigured by the renewing of your mind. So not intending to take anything away from the transfiguration, I want us to see that what happened to Jesus supernaturally in the revelation of his glory needs to happen to us spiritually as we pray. That while they're not the same, there's a parallel. That when we see what happens to him, I believe was intended to say to us that there's some things that ought to happen to us as well. What happened when Jesus prayed? The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 9 that the first thing that happened was his face was changed. I want you to follow the text with me. Verse 29. Let's begin at verse 28. About eight days after Jesus, after he said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him 
and went up into a mountain to pray. As he was praying, pause button, as he was praying, I'm going to suggest to you that if his, if his pattern on the natural human side of Jesus wasn't to pray, and if he wasn't praying in that moment, the transfiguration would not have taken place. Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. He models for us what it means to live as a spirit-filled human being. And I don't think that scripture is accidental or happenstance. I believe it's intentional. And what we do is we overlook what I think is the primary part of the story. We go right to the glory. Isn't that how Christians do? We go right to the miracle. We go right to the glory. We go right to the supernatural and miss what I think is the most important statement in this entire story. As he was praying. There are some things in your life that will only happen as you are praying. Amen. Amen. This is good stuff, Maynard. Help me out this morning. This is going to take us a while. There are some things that will not happen in your life by human means. There are some things that won't happen in your life by natural means. There are some things that will only happen as you are praying. And the Bible tells us that as he was praying, these disciples were groggy and sleeping. People have said to me during Sunday services, uh, I'm sorry, Pastor, I was really tired. Did you notice that I fell asleep? And uh, I'm just glad that if you're tired, come ahead Sunday, take a nap. But if you start snoring, we will wake you up. <laughs> they're groggy, they're sleepy. Jesus is praying and they're trying to stay awake. And then something begins to happen. <laughs> it says that his face changed, his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Moses and Elijah appear. They speak about Jesus' departure. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, verse 32, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. You're not going to see much at all while you're sleeping. You're not going to receive much at all when you're groggy spiritually. But when the glory of God came, I said when the glory of God came, they were fully awake. <laughs> Do you know what will keep the church from spiritual slumber? It's the glory of God. And that happens while we pray. I said that happens while we pray. We need to raise the spiritual tide of this place by people who are praying and seeking God. When God shows up, it'll wake up the crowd. And it says to us that the appearance of his face was changed. And I like the specificity of the, of the language there. The appearance of his face changed. When, as he was praying, what happens here? The Bible tells us in Matthew that his face shined like the sun. I've never seen that. <laughs> and if, well, if you're praying this morning and your face shines like the sun, I will probably panic. <laughs> I mean, would you think about what I think is, is the greatest need of Christians is to read scripture as though we've never read it before. His face shined like the sun. Hold your hand up if that freak you out. If you don't raise your hand, you're lying. 
it would, it would be, an, it would be an, an amazing moment that his face starts to shine. What was that? It was a revelation of his glory. It was a revelation of his deity. It was a revelation of the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. And I am not suggesting that that's what will happen to you. But as a parallel, <laughs> some of you need your face to change. Does <laughs> anybody hear me this morning? Do you remember that old song, Pastor Tim? I'm sure you do. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. If you're happy and you know it, then you're, it says life, but I changed that, but your face will surely show it. Some of you, if you're happy on the inside, need to let your face know. What is the countenance for us, not for Jesus now, but for us? In what sense would our countenance change? How do we run a parallel there? Well, your face is what communicates everything about you. Some of you are amazing at what you can communicate with your face without a word. How many husbands know that there are faces you don't want to see your wife make? <laughs> oh, look at that. I'm telling you what, we just about had revival break out here. <laughs> and there are faces my kids have made that have made me more angry than any words they could have used. You can read often. You can read a person's heart by what they put on their countenance. And I'm telling you, the worry lines, the pains, the sorrows that furrow your brow and cloud your visage will change when you pray. It'll change when you pray. I can't tell you how. I do know, though, that your countenance will change before anything else does. When that load lifts, when that pressure is gone and there's a clarity of expression that we need our countenance to change, we need to spend enough time with God that what he does on the inside radiates on the outside of us. Prayer will change you and everything about you. You see, the first place that prayer begins isn't about changing your world. It's not about changing your neighbors. It's not about changing your job. It's not about changing your money. When Jesus prayed, he changed. Prayer starts with changing you. How many of us need to change a little bit? Hold up your neighbor's hand. If you don't think you need to change, tell me to your friends. I'll talk to them, and they'll inform you of where you need to change. In fact, I think there's a reason that Jesus said, and when you pray, enter into your closet and shut the door. I don't want my dirty laundry aired in front of, the, in front of all my neighbors. But when I go in my closet and shut the door, he can talk to me in the privacy of my prayer closet about what in me needs to be adjusted. When... When I was growing up, my sixth grade teacher had an attitude adjuster. <laughs> it was a walnut paddle with holes drilled in it to reduce air resistance. They can't do that today, but I'll guarantee you when that came out, it changed my attitude. 
when my dad's belt came off his jeans, it changed my attitude. And there are times that you and I need an adjustment. We need an attitude adjustment. And in your private clause of prayer, you can take all of that to him. And the darkness and the sorrow and the suffering can all change because he'll talk to you about what in your life needs to be handled differently and respond in a different way. God can deal with the condition of your heart when you pray. That's where it starts. When I was in Bible college, I've told the story before, uh, but I've not hated very many people. <laughs> you notice I said not very many. <laughs> but there was a, a young man in our class that came as close to hating as anybody I've ever known. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but did you ever pray wishing God would put them out of your misery? <laughs> anybody ever? Yeah. You know? I'll never forget that Sunday night at the altar. I'm praying, and I'm passionate. God, you've got to change him. Please change him before I kill him. I mean, you'll help us both. Please, God, change him. There's something wrong with him. And I'm just telling God everything in him that needs to change. And here's how I know when God speaks to me, because he presses something on my heart that's completely contrary to what I'm thinking. And he said to me, if you would pray for him, as much as you complain about him, I could change both of you. It'll change your countenance. It'll change your countenance. His revealed glory, yours will reveal his presence. Now, what's also interesting to me here in this story is that Jesus' clothes were changed. And I don't know why that needed to happen, but it's pretty amazing that not just his body changed, but his apparel changed. Emphasis on how bright it was. Mark says it this way, his clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. They began to shine. In Luke, it says here, as bright as a flash of lightning, not just his countenance and his physical form. Not only did the humanity of Jesus reflect his deity, his apparel changed. Why did his clothes need to shine? Well, think about that a, a minute. Jesus was, in our description, clothed in human flesh. He lived on the earth as a man. Traveled as they traveled in that day, and I will guarantee you that his clothes were not white. Here's what I'm a hundred percent sure of that as they had traveled and walked up that mountain, they probably got dusty and dirty along the road. I'm relatively sure that they probably were marked by some sweat stains. How many of you ever sweat? Yeah, never going to get a hundred percent from this crowd, am I? <laughs> I'm sure that Jesus sweat and that it stained his clothes, that life on earth was normal for him. And when we live our lives, our lives are filled, showing in our apparel by the dust of the road, the pains of life, the loads that we carry, the things that stick to us are normal, ordinary, and everyday. 
Jesus' clothes remind us that he was fully human and subject to limitation. But there's another side to Jesus that the disciples need to see. His clothes, his covering, even the apparel that he wore began to shine with his deity. (laughs) Once your countenance changes, some of you need to change your clothes. All right, relax. I'm not a clothesline preacher, but I'm going to tiptoe over there and take a peek. What you wear communicates something about you. It does. If you're wearing a shirt that says, I'm with stupid, pointing to the person beside you, it communicates something. Hello? Sporting events. You communicate who you're loyal to by what you wear. (laughs) Whether you want to admit it or not, and whether it reflects you or not, a wife beater t-shirt communicates something. Hello? Come on. Don't just sit there looking at me. It does. You make a judgment when you look at people by what they wear. It even reflects worship. I found this really, really interesting on how we look askance at one another. And I'm hoping the day will come that the rest of you will get saved and wear your suit to church. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Do you know what I've watched happen? I've watched my generation look at the casual apparel of a younger generation and say, they don't value church. And I've watched a younger generation look at an older generation all dressed up for Sunday and say, they're putting on airs. We judge each other by our apparel. Pastor, why do you wear a tie? Simply because I want whoever comes in to see somebody that reflects where they've been. And that's why no one else is required to do that. And because I am not 20 and skinny jeans don't work for me. It wasn't that funny. (laughs) I'll never forget when I first got here and I wanted to meet all the various departments and I went up to BSC before uh, Justin and Crystal were here to talk to them and let them ask me questions. It didn't dawn on me later that they were freaking out. They thought I was the new youth pastor. And they're trying to figure out how to ask questions. And so one of the cards comes to me and said, "Um, if we bought you a V-neck T-shirt and skinny jeans, would you wear them? (laughs) They're trying to fix me. Because what I was wearing didn't reflect or identify with their culture. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So our clothes send out a message. It's what message do you want to send out? What is it you're trying to communicate? And when you've worked hard all day long and you come in, the work of the day is reflected in your 
clothing when you go to a wedding. Your celebratory mindset is reflected in your apparel when you go to a party. We're always communicating something, and Jesus is saying to them as they look to him that even is not just who he is, but his everyday life and ministry reflected the glory of God. His soiled clothes began to glow with the glory of God, saying to us that his ministry was anointed and ordained by God. And we need to quit judging each other by apparel and start letting our apparel reflect who we are in Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'd like to digress there a little bit, but I won't, save to say, when you pray, your clothes will change. Do you have scripture for that? Yes, I do. How many of you are planning to go to heaven? Great, I'm going to have a great altar call for the rest of you. And the Bible says when you get to heaven, you're going to be clothed with white linen. That's in there. (laughs) How many knew that? You'll be wearing white linen. What is that white linen? It's symbolic of what? The white linen, now watch this, is the righteousness of saints. It's not the righteousness of Jesus. That's what gets you into heaven. But your apparel in heaven is being woven today. Your reward is being earned today. The judgment seat of Christ is going to be measured by the works done in the body And so there is a spiritual sense in which my righteous acts, my righteous deeds, my righteous lifestyle, while not elevating me with any kind of arrogance or pride, my so-called righteousness, which in the flesh are filthy rags, needs to be replaced by a righteousness that comes from him that radiates the glory of God. Everything we do, not just who we are, but everything that we do should reflect the glory of God. And how will that happen? It happens when we pray. It's when we pray. Do you pray for your job? Do you pray for your neighbors? Do you pray? Do you pray for the convenience store that you frequent, the restaurant, wherever you go? I don't know if you've ever done this, but um, I've gone prayer walking numerous times and just stop and look at a house and begin to pray for that house, and I've had God begin to speak to me about what that house needs. It's a phenomenal way to pray, to walk and just pray for your neighborhood. But your praying for the neighborhood will be of no value if you don't have spiritual clothes on. If your lifestyle, the way that you live, the way you conduct yourself doesn't reflect your faith in the way that you work and the way that you live and what people see of you, your praying for them won't matter. You won't be believable. But as we pray, we're putting on the white linen of the righteousness of saints. So this morning, as we're weaving our wedding garments of linen, what in your clothes needs to change? Jesus' clothes were changed. Third, Jesus' company was changed. What an amazing story this is. He's he's on the mount. His 
face is shining like the sun. His clothes are flashing white like lightning. And then they see Moses and Elijah. You ever wondered how they knew it was Moses and Elijah? It's because their wives had kept scrapbooks that had been passed from family to family. And <laughs> they had followed them on Facebook. There were no pictures. There were no portraits. But there was a supernatural awareness, a supernatural knowledge that descended on that mountaintop. And they heard them talk, and they knew that it was Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine a prayer meeting that powerful? We have a great prayer room over here. How many of you have never been in our prayer room around there? Never been in there? Never. The rest of you all been in there? How many of you have never been in there? Let me see your hands. You need to go in there and start in the outer edge and walk to the middle and just count to 10. You're going to feel like you're Moses when you get to the middle. That thing just reverberates incredibly. So imagine you're in there having a prayer meeting, and, and uh, whoever's leading the prayer meeting, while you're praying, Moses and Elijah appear in the room. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. I'd call that a heart attack. <laughs> be terrifying. Do you know how important this moment is in the life of Jesus? There wasn't anyone on earth that could fill the role that needed to happen. Moses represents all of the Old Testament law. He was known as the lawgiver. And Elijah was known as the greatest prophet of Israel. All of the law and prophets meet Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration to talk about what? It's interesting, it's described not as his death, but as his departure. And both of those men had unique departures from planet Earth, and they're talking about that. And the disciples are overhearing that because this is a redemptive moment that is being expressed in a way that we can understand that all of the law and the prophets are about to be fulfilled by his departure, which means his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to the Father. They're hearing this talked about this is no longer just a rabbi a teacher that they're traveling with Moses and Elijah show up to talk to him the company changed again I don't want to demean what took place here but I want you to know that while Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus and I thought about the company changed by a supernatural addition to the crowd, I do not believe you will ever have Moses and Elijah come to your prayer meeting. But I do believe the people that join you for prayer meeting will change. When you pray, you align with the saints of all ages. I did just a brief tour of scripture and there are more than these, but let me tell you who the prayers were in scripture that we know prayed. We find that Abraham, Moses, Hannah, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, Hezekiah, Isaiah, Ezra, Job, Jeremiah, Daniel, Jonah, Jesus, Paul, Silas, David, Habakkuk, Zacharias, Cornelius, Peter, John, all of the disciples in the early church all prayed 
That's the company you're identifying with. Jesus prayed and was identified with the law and the prophets. When you and I pray, it's more than just identifying with our world. We're identifying with the heroes of generations gone by. We're identifying with Faith's Hall of Fame. We're saying the same prayer that motivated them. We want to identify that and be part of his eternal church. It changes your company. 222 prayers are recorded in the Bible. And we're all linked together by prayer. I, I want to encourage you to link with people who pray. Again, it's a parallel. It's not saying that that's why they came. I'm simply saying to you that it's clear that the company changed. How would ours change? Do you want to see God do something supernatural in your life? Don't hang out with complainers. Don't hang out with critics. Don't hang out with mockers. Don't hang out with boasters. You say, I don't do that. Oh, you do. You just put them in a box on your, on your front room and you listen to them all the time. Don't let those people shape you. Hang out with people who pray. And what God does is you'll find people who pray find each other. There's a fellowship, a harmony, a union of people who pray. I am, um, when we were pastoring in Ames, it's interesting the talent set that God gives to you. And for the size of our church, I think we had um, per person ratio the best vocalist you'd find anywhere on the planet. And we emphasized that. We had a choir, we had vocalists, and vocalists attracted vocalists because they had an opportunity for their gifting. Musicians will attract musicians. Christians should attract Christians. What if prayer was so powerful here that it began to draw other people who pray? What if our first response wasn't to post it but to pray it? What if that's where we went first and really believed that prayer changes things? It will change your company. It will change the people that are around you. Angels came to minister to Jesus at various times. It will change your company. And last, it'll change your environment. Jesus' environment was changed. While he was speaking, while, while Peter is speaking and saying, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then Luke records, he did not know what he was talking about. <laughs> it's like, like Luke said, I just can't even write this without commentary. He didn't know what he's talking about. And while he's speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. Now, I think part of the reason the cloud came was to shut Peter up from saying anything more. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I know for a fact. When you pray... When you pray, the glory cloud of God will descend on your life, your household, your job, your neighborhood. God inhabits the praise of his people and your environment changes. What would happen if we saturated everything that the people of Brian touched with an atmosphere of prayer and praise? What would happen? It would change 
our environment. Prayer brings you into God's presence. You're not just giving him a laundry list of things that you need. What is prayer? In its purest essence, it's communicating, talking, interacting with God. And when he moves into the room, you're lifted from the mundane to the sublime. And there's an awesome sense of spiritual reality when you really seek God and pray. Let prayer change your environment. The cloud lifted, but nothing stayed the same. And the voice of God spoke in the cloud. (laughs) How many of you need to hear the voice of God? You'll hear it when you pray. You'll hear it in his word, but you'll hear it when you pray. I can't tell you how many times, alone with God in prayer, I have felt the presence in the room. I've felt the cloud settle in, and I've heard him speak. (sighs) Don't ever forget outside the cloud what you heard in the cloud. Don't ever forget on Monday what he spoke to you on Sunday. Hold to what he says in the cloud. It changes your environment. Prayer, what is prayer? What happens when you pray? Pastor Nathan, if you'll come. What happens when you pray? Prayer is first transformational. It changes you. When Jesus prayed, he was changed. According to the scripture, when you pray, you will be changed. Where do we start? We start with us. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses or debts as we forgive our debtors or those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is the heart of the Lord's Prayer? It's a prayer for transformation. It's a prayer to change us. Help me forgive. Let me see the value of your will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's transformational because for most of us, it's about our kingdom and our will being done. It's transformational. The place you start in prayer is, Jesus, change me. Change me. I'm not going to have a sign up. We're not going to put a little confessional over here. But I'm going to ask for a commitment this morning. That in the days that are ahead of us, we will begin believing God for transformational prayer that changes us. That changes us. Would you stand with me? bowed eyes closed just for a moment I did a survey once of pastors anonymous survey of pastors and a group of pastors that I met with and asked them to write down the amount of time they spent with God every day 
And the average of these pastors who gathered together was less than three minutes. There's a reason why we're powerless. There's a reason why our world doesn't change. It's because we're not changing. And I'm not taking record. I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. But I wonder how many would be honest enough to say, my life is marked more by prayerlessness than it is prayerfulness. And this morning, I'm making a commitment to change that. I'm going to become a prayer. But I've been marked by prayerlessness. Would you just hold up your hand? God's talking to you. Thank you. Hands all around. Here's what will happen. If we will do that and we'll begin to pray, this place will glow with the glory of God. If you look at me just for a minute, I feel like God's given me a vision for the future here where we re-engage prayer teams and people praying for needs. And I feel like God's given me um, steps to get there. But we can't go there. You can't be on a prayer team till you're a prayer, till he's talking to you and changing you. And the first stage is to say, Jesus, transform me. Transform me just as you were transfigured. Let the glory of God radiate out of my life. I want it to be said about me. When he prayed, he changed. He changed. Would you just ask him, would you lift your hands? Let's take a moment to worship him and just say, Jesus, help me be a prayer. Change me from the inside out. Search me, O God. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in paths of everlasting for your name's sake. Show me where I need to be made new. Let me be transformed, O God. Transfigure me by your presence as I stand before you and seek your face. Thank you. 
where your people pray where we enter into our private closet of prayer and we pray until we are transformed until we experience your presence in such a power that we are renewed let this be a house of prayer filled with people Shake someone's hand, bless another.